Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Thursday morning to you. Mike McNamara in for a Thursday edition of All Marine Radio. Hope you're having a good Thursday so far. Um, yesterday, the Secretary of Defense and the uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff had a press conference about Afghanistan. And so... Uh, I'm going to play that for you live. Well, not live. I'm going to play it for you now because uh, I think you should hear it. The things they have to say, the questions that they take, and they don't take very many. They essentially make statements, get us a few very um, not difficult questions, and then they leave. Um, but I want you to, I think it's important that, that you hear that. I mean, as, I, as we do throughout this uh Throughout uh, um, All Marine Radio's tenure, it's important that you hear the principles and you hear the words straight from their mouths and not snippets of it. So so we'll do that this morning. 
And then after that, um, again, much to their surprise, uh, Will, Tim, and Jeff are going to join me. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then um, I have a question for them kind of as we wind this thing down. Um, and that is, what do you think is, is give me the thing that's done the most greatest damage to the United States? And that's kind of an interesting question. Is it the fact that, you know, that we now have uh, the enemy that we took on 20 years ago, more powerful, in control of a nation, more polished um, image internationally with a absolute shit ton of our military hardware? Is the is the most significant damage to uh, the American reputation internationally as we now attempt to do great power competition with our own image tarnished to our allies? So I'm curious what they have to say about that. Um, So with that said, uh, this press conference happened uh, yesterday afternoon um, in Washington, D.C., uh, you are going to hear the voices of the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. Good afternoon, and thanks for being here. Uh, it's been a busy time for all of us in this department, a proud one and a solemn one, too. We have concluded our historic evacuation operation and ended the last mission of the U.S. war in Afghanistan. America's longest war has come to a close. Now, both as secretary and as a veteran of our Afghan war, my thoughts have been with the brave Americans who stood up to serve after al-Qaeda attacked us on September 11, 2001. And my heart is with their families and loved ones and with our friends and allies and with our fellow citizens whose lives were lost or changed forever over 20 years of war. We remember 2,461 American service members and personnel who paid the ultimate price in this war and more than 20,000 wounded Americans, some still carrying the scars that you can't see on the outside. We also remember the thousands of American contractors who lost their lives, and hundreds of our allies and partners from NATO and beyond, and tens of thousands of Afghan soldiers and police officers, and tens of thousands more Afghan civilians. Now, we have just concluded the largest air evacuation of civilians in American history. It was heroic. It was historic. And I hope that all Americans will unite to thank our service members for their courage and their compassion. They were operating in an immensely dangerous and dynamic environment. But our troops were tireless, fearless, and selfless. Our commanders never flinched 
and our allies and partners were extraordinary. The United States evacuated some 6,000 American citizens and a total of more than 124,000 civilians. And we did it all in the midst of a pandemic and in the face of grave and growing threats. I am incredibly proud of those who made it happen, and they made it happen with grit and skill and humanity. Our outstanding men and women showed steady judgment under crushing pressure, including some very young service members who summoned up exceptional courage at close quarters. They ran an international airport. They sped up visas. They fed the hungry. They comforted the desperate. And they got plane after plane after plane into the sky. Our forces risked their own lives to save the lives of others. And 13 of our very best paid the ultimate price. And many of them were too young to personally remember the 9-11 attacks. The United States military will always honor their heroism. We mourn with their families, and we owe them support through the days and years ahead. It is noteworthy that on the day of the attack at the airport, our troops and their partners pushed hard and carry on, putting 89 rescue flights in the air in the span of 24 hours and lifting 12,500 souls to freedom. It has been an enormous achievement, not just by the U.S. military, but also by the militaries of our allies and partners, and of course, by our teammates at the State Department. Now the war is over, and we're entering a new chapter, one in where our diplomats and our interagency partners take the lead. We're part of an urgent team effort to move Afghan evacuees out of temporary housing in intermediate staging bases in the Gulf and in Europe and on to begin new lives. And I'll be traveling to the Gulf next week to thank our partners there who have done so much to help save and shelter Afghan civilians. Now, some of those brave Afghans will be coming to make new lives with their families in America. After careful screening and security vetting run by our interagency partners. We're temporarily sheltering, sheltering some of these evacuees at military facilities here at home. And I'm proud of the way that our military communities have welcomed them. Some of these courageous Afghans fought alongside us. And they and their families have more than earned their places in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And welcoming these Afghans isn't just about what they've done. It's about who we are. Now, as one mission ends, others must go on. 
And even during our Afghan retrograde, this, this department was racing to help victims of natural disasters at home and abroad, and we still are. We've been driving to, to end the pandemic, and we've continued to tackle security challenges from China and Russia, Iran, and North Korea. It's our duty to defend this nation, and we're not going to take our eye off the ball. And that means relentless counterterrorism efforts against any threat to the American people from any place. It means working with our partners to shore up stability in the region around Afghanistan. And it means a new focus to our leadership in this young century. To meet the security challenges from China, to seize new opportunities in the Indo-Pacific and elsewhere, and to deepen our ties with old allies and new partners, and to defend our democracy against all enemies. But for today, I want to end with a word to the force and their families. I know that these have been difficult days for many of us. And as we look back as a nation on the war in Afghanistan, I hope that we will all do so with thoughtfulness and respect. I will always be proud of the part that we played in this war. But we shouldn't expect Afghan war veterans to agree any more than any other group of Americans. I've heard strong views from many sides in recent days. And that's vital. That's democracy. That's America. As we always do, this department will look back clearly and professionally and learn every lesson that we can. That's our way. But right now, it's time to thank all those who served in this war, because you are the greatest asset that we have. You. The extraordinary men and women who volunteer to keep us all safe, and your families. So my prayers are with you, and with the Gold Star families who lost loved ones in Afghanistan, and with the warriors who mourn their fallen brothers and sisters, and with those who bear the wounds of war to body and to soul. We will never forget what you did and what you gave. Our country owes you thanks that won't fade and support that won't falter. The war has ended, but our gratitude never will. And finally, just a word about the Navy helicopter mishap overnight off the coast of California. I know the Navy is working diligently at search and rescue operations. And on behalf of the whole department, I want to pass on our thoughts and prayers for the best possible outcome. It's yet another reminder of the dangers our men and women face every day, overseas, at sea, and here at home. Now, let me turn it over to the chairman. Thanks, Secretary, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. <clears throat> Three weeks ago, the United States military received the mission 
to conduct a non-combatant evacuation operation from Afghanistan in support of the Department of State. In order to evacuate American citizens, the Department of State designated Afghans with a directed completion date of 31 August. The key military tasks were to secure and defend the International Airport in Kabul, evacuate all embassy personnel, evacuate all American citizens that wanted to get out, and evacuate other Afghans as designated by the Department of State, and retrograde all of the U.S. military. In short, the United States military was tasked to conduct two highly complex missions simultaneously, a retrograde while in contact with the enemy, and a NEO in a non-permissive environment. We executed that mission in a highly dynamic, dangerous operating environment from a war-torn country, and it was conducted across nine countries and 26 intermediate staging bases and temporary safe havens. We deployed between five and 6,000 military personnel on the ground, some of whom were forward deployed based on our contingency planning. These elements came from the 82nd Airborne Division, Special Forces, the Marine Corps, along with Navy and Air Force personnel. Flying in support were combat aircraft from the Air Force and the Navy, as well as incredible support from the transport aircraft, the pilots and crews of the United States Transportation Command. And afloat, we had an ARGMU and a carrier strike group. We flew 387 U.S. military C-17 and C-130 sorties, and we enabled 391 non-U.S. military sorties. A total of 778 sorties evacuated a total of 124,334 people, which included almost 6,000 American citizens, third-country nationals, and Afghans designated by the Department of State. And we will continue to evacuate American citizens under the leadership of the Department of State, as this mission is now transitioned from a military mission to a diplomatic mission. Evacuees flowed through the intermediate staging base safe havens in Central Command and European Command for onward movement to the United States, a third country, or their home of origin for repatriation. Evacuees complete medical and security screening, vetting, in accordance with the lead federal agency's guidance, the Department of Homeland Security. Currently, there's approximately 20,000 evacuees in seven staging bases in five countries in Central Command. Another 23,000 in seven staging bases in four countries in Europe. And as of this morning, there are approximately 20,000 Afghans who arrived at eight different military bases in the continental United States. This mission cost 11 Marines, one soldier, and one Navy corpsman their lives, and 22 others were wounded in action. In addition to over 100 Afghans killed and wounded in a horrific terrorist attack on 26 August at Abbey Gate on the southeast perimeter of the airport. Those soldiers, sailors, and Marines gave their lives so that others 
may live free. They literally gave their tomorrows for the tomorrows of people they never knew. Those 124,000, they never knew the 13 who died, and they will never know the 22 who were wounded, and the thousands of dead and thousands of wounded who came before them. But they will now live in freedom because of American blood shed on their behalf. Nearly two decades have passed since that horrible, dark September day in our nation's history when 2,977 innocent lives were murdered. Since then, the men and women of the United States military and our interagency partners have fought tirelessly to defeat terrorists in Afghanistan and around the world. Both at home and abroad, their talent, their efforts, have carried this fight day and night. In Afghanistan, our mission, our military mission, has now come to an end. And we're going to learn from this experience as a military. How we got to this moment in Afghanistan will be analyzed and studied for years to come. And we in the military will approach this with humility, transparency, and candor. There are many tactical, operational, and strategic lessons to be learned. 800,000 of us in uniform served in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. Our nation spent over a trillion dollars, and most importantly, 2,461 soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines gave the last full measure of devotion, while 20,691 were wounded, and untold thousands of others suffer with the invisible wounds of war as we close this chapter in our nation's history. And all of those casualties are alongside our allies and partners, and we should never forget that 60,000 Afghan National Security Forces gave their lives in the conduct of this war. Our counterterrorism efforts in Afghanistan and the region over 20 years has protected the American people from terrorist attack, and the men and women and children who were just evacuated will ultimately be the legacy to prove the value of our sacrifice. For the past 20 years, there's not been a major attack on our homeland. And it is now our mission to ensure that we continue our intelligence efforts, continue our counterterrorism efforts, continue our military efforts to protect the American people for the next 20 years. And we in the American military are committed to do just that. For those of us in uniform who served in Afghanistan, for our families who have suffered and sacrificed along our side, for those who have supported us, these have been incredibly emotional and trying days, and indeed years. We are all conflicted with feelings of pain and anger, sorrow and sadness, combined with pride and resilience. There are no words that I or the Secretary or the President or anyone else will ever do to bring the dead back, but we can always honor them. And one thing I am certain of, for any soldier, sailor, airman, or Marine and their family, your service mattered 
and it was not in vain. Thank you. Okay. I think we have enough time for a few questions, and we'll start with you, Bob. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Um, looking ahead in Afghanistan, a uh, question for both of you, please. Uh, given the experience of the past couple of weeks at the Kabul airport, where U.S. commanders were uh, coordinating or at least communicating daily with Taliban uh, commanders, to an effect that General McKenzie himself said was at times very helpful, and also, I know, General Milley, in your case, you uh, last year had face-to-face -face meetings with Taliban leaders, at least on a couple of occasions. I'm wondering what you, can, what you think these experiences say about the prospect for a United States relationship with the Taliban to include the possibility of any kind of coordination in um, counterterrorism operations against ISIS-K in Afghanistan. Well, first of all, let me applaud the initiative of our commanders uh, on the ground who uh, would stop at nothing uh, to accomplish the mission that they were, they were provided of evacuating as many American citizens, third country nationals, and SIV applicants as possible. Now, we were focused on, uh, we were working with the Taliban on a very narrow uh, set of issues, and it was just that, to get as many people out as we possibly could. And so I would not leap to, uh, I would not make any uh, leaps of logic to, you know, a broader, uh, to broader issues. I would just say that, uh, again, I'm immensely proud of, of uh, what, uh, what our troops have done to this point. And it's hard to predict uh, where this will go in the future with respect to the Taliban. And I would uh, just say, Bob, um, you know, Secretary and I both served in Afghanistan, and many of us did, and you all did too. Um, we don't know what the future of the Taliban is, uh, but I can tell you uh, from personal experience uh, that this is a ruthless group from the past, and whether or not they change remains to be seen. Uh, and as far as our dealings with them at that airfield or in the past year or so, in war, you do what you must in order to reduce risk to mission and force, not what you necessarily want to do. Any possibility of coordination against ISIS-K with them? possible uh, going going forward Bob I again I would not uh, want to make any predictions I would tell you that we're going to do everything that we can to make sure we remain focused on ISIS-K understand that network and at, and at the time of uh, our choosing in the future uh, hold them accountable for what they've done let's go to Helene Cooper uh, thank you, sir, for doing this. I have a question for you and then another one for General Milley. Um, Mr. Secretary, perhaps it's possible that there's no exit from Afghanistan that would not have been chaotic, uh, given what we now know, uh, uh, and for all the reasons that the administration has mentioned. Uh, but I would like to know, now in hindsight, is there one thing that you wish that you or the Pentagon had done could have done differently? Uh, thanks, Helene. Um, I, I would just tell you that there hasn't been a single operation that I've ever been involved in uh, where we didn't discover that there's something that we could have done better or more efficiently or more effectively. And I'd also say that no operation is ever perfect. Uh, I will tell you that we will do what we always do, and that is to, to look at ourselves and 
uh, do after action reviews, and uh, and we want to make sure that uh, we learn every lesson that can be learned from this experience. Uh, but I want to take the time to uh, to do it the right way, uh, and uh, and so uh, we'll do that in the days uh, in the days ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say I I will just say again, uh, Helene, that I'm enormously proud of our of our men and women who uh, who worked hard to accomplish uh, what they just accomplished, which I think, as I said earlier, is historic and heroic. Go ahead. Maybe thrown out the book on the whole SIV. I mean, the previous administration did leave. I understand the Biden um, uh, did put a lot of hurdles in the way of the SIV program that this administration had to then deal with upon arrival. May, do you think at all that because the Pentagon worked so hard with these people for 20 years, these translators and interpreters, that we should have thrown that whole book out? What I would say, uh, Helene, is that uh, the SIV program is obviously not uh, not designed to accommodate uh, what we just did in evacuating, you know, over a hundred thousand people, uh, and so uh, perhaps uh, this this program should be looked at going forward. Uh, it is a it is a designed to be a, a slow process. Uh, Secretary Blinken and and uh, and the State Department worked hard early on. Uh, to uh, to shorten the timeline that it takes to to work your way through that process, uh, but again, for the type of operation that we just conducted, uh, I think I think we need a different type of capability. And for General Milley, um, I wanted to ask you about Sunday's drone strike. Uh, can you take us back to that morning? You have intel that ISIS K is plotting another attack, the military spots a vehicle that you believe is uh, full of carrying explo explosives, uh, and we take the car out with a drone strike, and reports now say that we may have, uh, that 10 civilians, as many as 10 civilians may have been, may have been killed. Um, because of the urgent threat environment at the time, do preliminary assessments indicate that we may have rushed, relaxed, or waived altogether some of the normal checks and balances that we do before a strike like that? Uh, a couple of things. One is, as we always do on all of these things, we initiate an investigation. We're reviewing all the, the video and all that. Uh, but having said that, you know, what do we know, what do we don't know, what do we think sort of thing? Uh, at the at the time, and I think this is still valid, uh, we had very good intelligence uh, that ISIS-K was preparing uh, a specific type vehicle uh, at a specific type location. Uh, we monitored that through various means, um, and um, all of the engagement criteria were being met. We went through the same level of rigor that we've done for years, uh, and we took a strike. Uh, so that we did. Secondly, um, is we know that there were secondary explosions. Uh, because there were secondary explosions, there's a reasonable uh, conclusion to be made that there was explosives in that vehicle. The third thing is we know from a variety of other means that at least one of those people that were killed was a ISIS facilitator. Uh, so were there others killed? Yes, there are others killed. Who they are, we don't know. Uh, we'll try to sort through all that. Uh, but we believe that the procedures at this point, I don't want to influence the outcome of an investigation, um, but at this point we think that the procedures were correctly followed and it's a righteous strike. So we've got time for one more question, and we'll go to Barb for the last question. Thank you, sir. Um, I while your messages today from both of you, your messages of compassion and gratitude are certainly understood, 
In the last several days, both of you at multiple times have issued these kinds of messages and statements. And what I'm curious about is what do you see in the country with troops, with veterans, that makes you feel you, it's a rare thing, that makes you feel these messages must continue and you, you have put out so many in the last few days. And Joe Milley, I was very struck you used the words pain and anger and that you understood that was out there. So as a combat veteran yourself of Afghanistan, can you help people understand that? Where does your pain and anger come from? If you could both answer your views on this. Yeah, I would start by saying, Barb, that this is the longest war in, in our history. And so uh, there have been uh, a couple of generations that have participated in, the, in this war. And, and as we've gone about, I've gotten input and reactions that are from all sides of this, uh, of this issue. And as I said in my, my opening statement, that's to be expected. Uh, and, uh, and of course, I, I respect that. And I think we have to provide ourselves uh, the time and space to adequately deal uh, with, uh, with everything that our veterans have been through. And we will work through those issues. And, and the system will be there to support our veterans as we work through those issues. Uh, I just think, again, we need to respect each other's views and be supportive of each other. And one thing I would say, Barb, is that uh, people will process this differently. And for those who think they need help, please seek help. Uh, you know, we're there for you. And as I said, you heard me say a number of times before, you know, mental health is health, period. Uh, and, and so this will take time to work for people to, to, uh, to work their way through. There are varying opinions uh, on, on each side of the aisle, and that's to be expected and respected. Assure. So, Barbara, you asked me where my pain and anger comes from. I have all those same emotions, and I'm sure the Secretary does, and any, anyone who served. Uh, and, and I commanded troops, um, and I wasn't born a four-star general. Uh, I have walked the patrols and been blown up and shot at in RPG and everything else. Uh, my pain and anger comes from uh, the same as the grieving families, the same as those soldiers that are on the ground. Last night I visited the wounded up in Walter Reed. Um, this is tough stuff. War is hard. Uh, it's vicious. It's brutal. It's unforgiving. Uh, and yes, we all have pain and anger. And when we see what has unfolded over the last 20 years and over the last 20 days, that creates pain and anger. Uh, and mine comes from 242 of my soldiers killed in action over 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. So yeah, I have that. But I'm a professional soldier. I'm going to contain my uh, pain and anger and continue to execute my mission. Thanks. We have to go. We have to go, guys. Thanks, guys. Won't be sent back to Afghanistan. All right. That concludes the press conference, and so I wanted to bring um, two of the three Mensa brothers here. Um, somehow or other, in spite of the text that went out, Tim didn't get the memo, so he's doing something this morning, but joining me from the greater Kansas City area is uh, William Costantini. Will, how are you? 
Great, great day in the Midwest. And uh, joining me from uh, Southern California is uh, Jeff Kenny. Jeff, how are you? Good, thanks. All right. Um, we, um, I, I wanted to have them on. You just, everybody just listened to the, the, the press conference and, and really a historic press conference um, um, after America's uh, longest war, quote unquote, concludes. Um, you have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of Defense um, out making statements, essentially, and then taking, uh, I think they took three questions total and then left. The, um, so I wanted to get uh, Will's thoughts and, and, uh, and, and, and Jeff's thoughts. So let me, um, let me give you my thoughts first. Um, it, it was interesting to me um, on three different occasions during his remarks, uh, the Secretary of Defense has used the phrase, come to a close. Um, I, and then he said, the war is over. And then he said the war has ended. Um, I saw a very interesting piece, and it said, I wonder if the Taliban have got that memo, right? That um, after 20 years of conflict with the United States, that they emerge from it, a more polished organization internationally, in charge of a country, and with all the technology and military equipment that the United States has left in that country. And so the qu- the question was, have the Taliban got the memo that the war is over? And I guess, uh, I guess we will see about that. Um, some of the things that struck me is, um, is that in his comments, um, when he talked about, as we, as we turn from Afghanistan, and he talked about Russia and China and great power competition, one of the things he did not say was he didn't mention climate change, which was, I thought, one of the great dangers and one of the top missions of the top threats that the DOD would deal with. And he didn't mention extremism. So it's interesting how those things didn't break squelch. Now, maybe he'll come back to his senses and he'll get back to business and and include those things next time. But it was uh, interesting to me that that yesterday he did not. So... um, he he obligatorily went down the list of uh, of the, of our casualties there um and as i'm listening to this my will's voice comes into my head which is disturbing to me i'm, I'm not going to lie to you but he's affected me in in this kind of shit and i i hear his i hear his caustic criticism um one of the things i hear him say often is this shit doesn't survive the second question, right? And but yesterday, what what I heard uh, Will saying was something that he says on a relatively regular basis, right? At times like this, it's helpful to know what the Giants did in similar circumstances, right? And you you would hope that the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman would refer to history. What is my role here today? And, and and what should my tone be? And who should I be discussing? So it was interesting because to me, everybody that talks about this stuff makes it, tries to make it personal. From the president talking about Bo Biden to families, which was absolutely positively fucking <clears throat> tone deaf, 
and offensive to those family members. Your son dying of cancer, however you know tragic that is, is not close to you ordering their sons into a situation in which they were killed. Right? We've heard Anthony Blinken stand up and say, this is personal for me. And it just gets so fucking old. And so to have these guys um, take this, I think, a personal tone, to me, was not what the moment required. <coughs> right? And so, I mean, and, you know, <clears throat> Secretary Austin, you know, with his boilerplate comments, I, I, I just, I was unmoved by them. Right? Um and uh, and then when the chairman got up, you know, he talked about the missions that they took on, um, <clears throat> and he talked about the military mission uh, has come to an end. And before he got personal, he said something that offended me. He talked about the soldiers, sailors, and Marines that were killed at the airport. And he's factually incorrect. In case you forgot, General Milley, it was 11 Marines, a soldier, and a sailor. Not plural. And that's probably too much to ask that you have that much fidelity to those kind of facts. But in a moment of history, those of us who listen to it, right, when you said soldiers, sailors, and Marines that were killed at the airport, that fucking pissed me off. Because it's just factually not true. He then went on. Um, he then went on to talk about the Taliban and and uh, and and they were asked a question. Uh, you know, could they cooperate in the future? And General Milley said yes. Now that surprised me. And I felt, and and my head said, "Stay in your fucking lane, man." You know, that's not your, that's not, that's not your lane to be in, right? That's when you take both your index fingers and point to the guy on your right and say, "I think that's a question for him," right? And then, um, and then in that in that question, Secretary Austin came back in, and he made a comment that at some point in the future. We will hold the, the, the Taliban accountable. And he says that in the Q&A. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you just lost, man. What don't you get? And how are you going to hold them accountable? And so, I, I mean, to me, it, just, it, was, it was head scratching. Mercifully, it, it didn't drag on through the question and, and the answer. Um, I, I did have... One question, when because in the Q&A they talked about that the, the SIV process is made to be long and difficult. And I thought, why is that? If somebody served the United States, you know, honorably and qualifies for this, why would we make the process long and difficult? And so I guess I have that as an as a, as a RFI coming out of this. And, um, and again... The final thing, the final brick in watching this was Millie talking about pain and anger, and it becomes personal for him. And I I just, again, I have to say, at a moment in history, I think he should have looked at Barbara Starr and said, Barbara, I'll be happy to talk to you about those kind of things at another time. This is not a day um, 
in which I should express anything about my concerns. This is a day um, <clears throat> for the nation. I stand here as a chairman and inappropriate for me to talk about my own personal feelings. But he didn't. He went and talked about how difficult war is and all the rest of this shit. Um, so I, I, I was uh, underwhelmed by by their their comments and the fact that they only took a couple questions and then left. Um, I thought um, I thought it didn't speak well of them. So with that said, Will. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, I I told Mac before we came on here, he's got a special place in hell because I watched that press conference yesterday and it was agony. And then I had to watch it again this morning to get ready for the show. Um, you know, when they do something like this, uh, those opening remarks, uh, in my experience, I know maybe one guy who would write all his own remarks like that. Uh, most of them got a speechwriter. So the speechwriter throws crap at them, and then they parse through it and figure out what the remarks are. Um, and some things in detail. You know, the secretary talked about we're going to defend our democracy against all enemies. There was your extremism line back. So he hasn't forgotten that, that we just lost the war and he's still got to focus on these violent extremists. Another thing that was put in there is he talked about democracy and that we need to have the discussion and we need to, you know, debate about what went wrong. But it is interesting uh, that just in the last week, we know that word's been put out to the chain of command that there's going to be no criticism. Uh, And the second thing is, is that he can't get his press flack to stand up there and take questions. We want this discussion, but we want it on our terms. And we'll we'll have the meter on how much we're going to have. General Milley continues to impress me as an arrogant blowhard. Um, Just a couple of things. He said the mission was evacuate all American citizens that wanted to get out. His words, not mine. So by that standard, evacuate all American citizens that want to get out, we failed. The General McKenzie said very specifically that they had a line on American citizens that they just couldn't quite accommodate. Item two in that mission statement, he said that we were doing a retrograde while in contact with the enemy. Who is the enemy? I think that the Taliban were our great partners that we cooperated with at the airport. People that are our enemy, we shoot on sight. They've been declared the enemy. They are lawfully, we are able to lawfully kill them. So I just, I don't... As per you, I don't I don't think that they bring the historian in, but is there nobody in the chairman's office that looks at the words that he's about to spew out and suggest that perhaps we should be a little bit more accurate and thoughtful? Um, some of the data. So, so we supervise or involved with 778 evacuation sorties. 
124,000 evacuees. If you do the math, that's 160 per aircraft. It makes me think that we had capacity to take more people out. Um, I, I, I contrast some of the things that were said here with some of the things that the president has said in uh, other people. And when, so we'll talk about that in a little bit, but when Millie went down the line of it's personal, if you listen to him carefully, he is a cartoon character of what people think a four-star general is supposed to be. He wants to bluster. He uses Pentagon speak, uh, and he's just simply not thoughtful, uh, as you pointed out. Um, I don't know who the hell he thought he was talking to. Uh, and and maybe, maybe that's just the way of the world now, that, that, that we think it's all about me. Um, and that has leached up to the upper echelons of the Pentagon. Um, if it's... You know, and that's the thing. If it's truly personal, then you would have been in the White House. And, and again, I don't necessarily, I don't agree with this policy. But you would have been in the White House saying, we need to kill all of these fuckers before we leave. Because they damaged us personally. If it's truly personal, Will, and, I'm, and, truly I, and I apologize, he would have resigned and said, this isn't right. If it's truly personal, he would have got up yesterday and said this, right? To everybody who served there. I failed. I failed. We failed you here in this city. You were magnificent. Everything we asked you to do, you did. You went back and back and back. And for that, this country can never pay you enough, can never thank you enough. God bless you. Thank you. We failed you. As the chairman, I have to take responsibility for this gross military failure. And I intend yeah. to, and I intend, you know what I mean? That, if you want to take it personally, then that's where, correct me if and I'm that, wrong, that's where personally takes you. And that's what I mean is that it's, it's, and I think the personal thing, I think that was, he was off script with the questions. Right. But, but, and that's why I say he's arrogant, is that he, he's either surrounded himself with yes men, which I, uh, I don't necessarily doubt, um, or he's not introspective enough to know that uh, to be able to look at things in a different way and just be more thoughtful about it. And his just his manner and mannerisms and speech patterns, I find to be grotesque. I really do. Uh, for example, in his statement, he, he makes this your service mattered and not and was not in vain. You know, that is the worst sort of conventional wisdom pablum crap that you could put in there as we walk out the door after losing a war. Or he actually thinks we are all buffoons and that and that it fits and that everyone will just lap it up. Your service mattered and not in vain. I, uh, again... Frustrating to no end um, that that this is this is a senior uniformed uh, leader in the country 
you know. And that, and that was a proverbial pat on the head, right? The Marine or soldier on your left and your right, your service mattered, you know. Don't kill yourself. Little pat on the head. And if 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 he thinks that that makes anybody feel better, right? Then he is out of as out of touch as he appears to be. And yeah. gr- and grotesque. Well stated, <laughs> well well stated, William. And you know who he reminds me of? I can tell you right now. Remember General Casey? Yes. Yeah, he was in charge. He was horrid that way. And uh, he was horrid in Iraq, came and talked to us about, you know, standing up the Iraqi army. And um, remember, we got uh, we got like a certain number of up armored Hummers for the Iraqis. And uh, he said, what are you going to do? I go, well, so we're going to divide them, you know, among the three battalions. I mean, they're in their infancy. You know what I mean? And you didn't even know how many people you had because they keep going UA. And he says to me, that's the typical uh, military response: just give everybody an equal, an equal share without looking at the battlefield itself. I fucking almost threw something at him, you know. I mean, you sh- I mean like there's a big difference between Rawa and Haditha and fucking, uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know the ballsack area. You know what I mean? And uh, we need to train those guys on how to use them. So obviously, but he was said stupid shit. And then, hey, could you explain the, to everybody? A- could you explain to everybody real quick what the ballsack region is? Balsack me... is the area right outside of uh, Al-Assad where you had three three contested towns, Baghdadi, Juba, and Dulab. And uh, anyway. And just so you know, on a, on a map, it, it resembles. Like yeah. The way the Euphrates River goes, it looks kind of like a ball sack. See, the, in the Marine everybody called that. What's that? Huh? Who christened that? <laughs> you did? No, I, I mean, did. I didn't make that up. We, we I know. There. I know who did. Oh. Well, the guy who, who did was the uh, operations officer for First LAR named Dave Hudspeth. We were the first. Nah, Dave Hudspeth. Holy yeah, he probably, I mean, fucking Nebuchadnezzar probably is the first guy who came up with it. <laughs> you know, but, uh, it, you know but, the Marine Corps, I mean, you have these places that get these names and they're hilarious, right? I mean, they're stupid, right? The pizza slice in Fallujah, right? right. And you look at it and you're like, Oh, it looks like a pizza slice, right? And uh, so you hear these names. And anyway, Jeffrey, we, yeah, apo- yeah, we no, apologize for interrupting your soliloquy. But anyway, uh, then this guy becomes chairman of the army. He, I mean, he's the uh, he's this general of the army. Chief and, of staff. Uh, chief of staff. Yeah, chief of staff of the army. And uh, this fucking asshole, Major Nadal in Fort Hood, takes his pistol and executes double-digit number of soldiers in a medical facility. Of course, on a military base no one's allowed to be armed except they're in, they're in training right so no one can resist the guy and uh, he does a hell of a lot of damage and the first thing general casey says is and we have to make sure above all that there's no islamic ba- ac- backlash against innocent you know islamic people like anybody was saying that you know what i mean it's just like he had to get that in there and these guys have been told by their i guess their paos a combination of lawyers and paos who say here is the perfectly appro- appropriate way to speak, and they've been doing it since the '90s. I mean, you know, you heard, uh, you know, you heard people avoiding certain things like killing. I, I had to go talk to AWS uh, in um, in '99. Uh, I went there. I didn't have to go. Joe Latwell was an instructor there. He invited me, so I went down there. We we're talking about operations of the war. I'm talking about Liberia, and this other guy. He was talking about Somalia, and he's an AAV guy. 
And so they had to kill some people in Somalia. He said, so we neutralized the threat. They asked me about my, I said, we killed these guys. We killed them because that is the fucking perfect description. Well, we neutral, the enemy put fire on us and we neutralized the threat. That type, I'm thinking, where did he fucking learn how to talk like that? You know, I mean, uh, they won't say, you know, they'll try and they're always talking to this un, un, uh, you know, undefined source of a bunch of civilians who you can't tell them the truth because otherwise they'll click off safe or they won't vote for you or something. And so through the years since then, it's been getting worse and worse and worse. And the thing that's so refreshing, you know, to, for a lot of people about General Mattis is he didn't always play that game. But he usually did. But he didn't always. He'd said some pretty good, you know, uh, phrases, he'd say. I have a plan to kill everybody, you know, and uh, all this stuff. But uh, they are uh, they're more concerned with uh, with form than substance. I mean, that's a pretty trite thing to say. But I think that that's what this is. This is the, the you know, the final victory of form over substance, you know, at the top because uh, th- this horrible incident happens and they're talking about themselves. And that's another thing about, you know, we had presidents like President Roosevelt. He had sons who were in active combat. One of them was a Marine Raider. Purple Heart guy could have been killed. You never, not once to even mention his kids in all those speeches he made, you know? And the same thing with uh, later on during Vietnam, Admiral McCain, his fucking kids at POW getting his ass kicked every fucking day. Not once does he mention that, you know, when he's talking to people. So it's a, and now people would say, well, you know, they're really, uh, you know, the, this phony, this toxic masculinity thing. They want to ever show weakness. These guys do nothing but show weakness. They cry. I mean, this guy Millie got on the fucking TV, and uh, he said, "I want to apologize to her because I walked across the street in front of the White House with the president to look at the burned-out church. That was I shouldn't have done that. Mia culpa, mia culpa." He practically flagellated himself. Yet on this thing, he's not taking any kind of responsibility. We failed. Those fucking Marines failed? I don't think so. You know, those Marines, you just you don't even fucking accurately portray the, the true demographics of that fucking Neo. Mostly goddamn Marines. And in that incident, almost exclusively Marines. I mean, fucking one soldier and one corpsman. God bless them. The rest of those fuckers are from 2-1, goddammit. And he should have said that. No, there's only one unit he mentioned um, beyond the service level. Interestingly, 82nd the 82nd Airborne. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. W- w- you know, again, Jeff. which pissed me the fuck off, right? Yeah, the yeah. 82nd Airborne, he- Marines, sailors, and I'm like, you are fucking tone deaf, man. That's like saying Iwo Jima. Uh, hats off to the sailors, soldiers, and Marines who took Iwo Jima. Hey, man, that's not really an accurate accurate. You know, I mean, fucking almost 7,000 Marines got killed. Other people got killed, a lot of corpsmen and stuff. But it's a fucking Marine thing. You can bet your ass if more Army dudes got killed, they wouldn't even have mentioned us. Yeah, I I would say, you know, the culmination of this whole thing, this woe is me. I got to tell you, it was the picture of the general climbing onto the back of the C-5. The last... Man in Afghanistan. So let me get this straight. We've lost. This is the end of the failure. You're going to stage a photographer 
on the back of the airplane. You're going to borrow someone's rifle so that you can have a picture of the last man walking on to the C-17. I don't think he borrowed somebody's rifle. I think he had one issued to him like that morning so he could didn't have to borrow somebody. <laughs> well, just I don't mean to be a technical asshole about it, but come on. He said, can somebody you, take this thing and clean it for me. Can you? I mean, you You know, there's pictures of Patton pissing into the Rhine. You know, there's pictures of victory. And we, because we need something for Instagram, I guess, we, we, we set up the picture of defeat. Yeah. We're we're complete idiots. Like MacArthur, like MacArthur sure. coming ashore in the Philippines, right? We like choreographed yeah. that bit. Oh, yeah, just the whole it, it 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 and Jeff, contrary to what you just said, he didn't say the Marines failed. He didn't say we failed. They never acknowledged failure. Right, right, right. If you didn't know, if you didn't know that we just fucking limped out after twenty years of war, handing the Taliban. A strategic victory, a tactical victory, and an operational. If you didn't know like those like minor footnotes, you would say, "Wow, what just happened? Something great must have yeah. just happened because all these great things happen." If that, you know, that's you, the typical attitude that fucking Ivy Leaguers and shit have about us. Like, uh, I remember watching um, the Star Wars movies when they first when they first came out. If you guys remember, they were a huge smash. Everybody's like, "Oh my god!" I think it was because. There weren't a lot of war movies because people were disenchanted with Vietnam. It's about the closest you could come. And it's pretty, you know, pretty, uh, you know, traditional type uh, values being espoused. But there's the part where the, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi tells the sentries, these droids are not something you should be interested in. You did not hear this. Like, they're so stupid. They're susceptible to a mind control. That's what they think of us, these guys. They have to say, this is not really a big defeat. This is actually a great victory and a demonstration of our ability to do the biggest airlift in history. Don't feel bad. Feel good. You know, this, and then they're surprised when people say, you're full of shit. What about this? What about that? Why'd you leave Bagram? What, you know, why did you, why didn't you, when they offered you Kabul, why didn't you fucking, you know, take them up on that? Then you wouldn't have to worry about all these Americans trapped you know, a couple blocks away from the uh, from the H. Kai to get out. Why not? They're actually asking us questions. It's almost as if they're intelligent. Oh my god! Well, it would, it would been... be interesting as well for the follow up. You know, they've they've said today's not the day for us to go through this. We'll be having thorough after actions. Baloney. Well, why can't one of those reporters say when? Yeah. When should we expect that result? We want to schedule Ooh. that. Yeah. Who will be participating? We'll yeah. rent the room. <laughs> yeah. Tell but, us when. Well, you know, the other Much thing, better. the other thing, if, if you're interested in candor, you know, that the, to me the chairman should have said is, look, um, to the American fighting man and woman, uh, you perform gloriously. Right. And uh, the introspection that needs to be done in the city needs to start at very high levels because our our application of you our execution of strategy clearly failed. And that is on people that sat in my seat, people that wear these stars. And we need we need to be better because your selfless devotion to our nation 
needs to be rewarded by being put in situations where we will be successful. And we're clearly str- – I mean, he should have – I mean, to me, as Will said, thoughtful, you know, well-spoken, honoring the people that fought there, but not this, like, we did great, we did great, you know, yeah, and I'm affected by this too. I Again, I just um, – yeah. Let me ask yeah, you. Let me ask, the, let me, to me, that, saying he's affected by it and all that shit. Uh, like, uh, hey, sh- shut up, man. That ain't your place. Yep. Talk let about me, the guys who really went through this. Let me ask you um, one more question, and then I'll let you guys go for the day. Um, what do you think the the? And, and I'm going to limit you to only you can only pick one thing. What is the greatest damage done to the nation by after 20 years of war in Afghanistan? Yeah, I, I would tell you that that the greatest damage may also be the greatest benefit of this whole thing. And that is, how do you go to war in the future? The damage could be that, uh, you know, sort of Britain post-World War One shy away from the obvious threat. But the value may be that uh, the citizenry, the veterans uh, are a lot more circumspect about if we're going to go. I don't want the exit plan. I want the victory plan up front. And give me the victory plan and I'll follow you anywhere. Um, but it could be very damaging if this whole thing potential adversaries doubt our resolve or we're just too slow to act when we genuinely need to. So if you were to say one thing, reduce that for me, Will, what is it? The one thing that damages the nation most is? Is um, this may cause us to be reluctant to use force in the future when it's required. Got it. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Jeff, Jeff I, got, I know I should have made you go first so you couldn't nightingale this thing, but um, what? I'm uh, not gonna. Uh, I'm awesome, not smart. Awesome. I'm, I'm too dumb to even see what Will said. <laughs> but uh, here's what I think: in intrinsic in our in our oath we took to, when we became commissioned officers is really two tasks, leadership during combat and stewardship at all times of our organization. And um, these guys, and that takes sometimes standing on principle and refusing to allow our civilian leadership to do things that we know is going to harm us. That's the stewardship part. And, uh, And that constraint has been subsumed by personal, um, you know, personal self-interest, I think. So people won't tell the truth or say, I'm going to, we're all going to resign. Just like, you know, McMaster said that, you know, it's kind of ironic because he did the same thing later about those uh, joint chiefs during uh, Vietnam. Um, People are reluctant to stand in the door and say, I am not going to allow you guys to reach down into the, to the military and destroy our cohesion because of this or that, you know, uh, uh, issue du jour. But what I'm saying is they allow um, they allow the, the force 
to be damaged. And then when you have, and, and they won't, they won't tell the truth to, uh, you know, to our civilian leadership. And then when something horrible is about to be propagated anyway, they go along with it and they won't resign. They should resign when they get to that point. I mean, Napoleon said, you get to a certain point, the only thing you can do, you know, is, is, uh, lay your commission down and say, I'm not going to be a party to this because I think it is harmful to our nation in general and my service in particular. And that is gone. And that's the reason that a lot of this egregious stuff happens. I believe. I would say at this, at the, at the national level, um, and this has to do with, you know, I think my experience, um, and I've gone around the world, um, courtesy of the United States military. And you see the place that the United States occupies in the in the world, in the international world of nations. And nobody else occupies that place. We, no, With all of our warts and all of our flaws, we are the bright, shining light of the planet. And when the United States is diminished, that's a bad thing for the entire world. It's specifically a bad thing for our nation. And so to me, the, the worst thing that comes out of this is a diminished United States with diminished influence over its allies, with diminished influence in international organizations. And you look at that and say, where are the, where are the leaders that will turn this around? And you look around and what you saw yesterday, what you saw the day before with the president, and you just, you don't see those leaders and it's, um, to say it's distressing is an understatement. Um, and so, um, yeah, so to me, a diminished United States is a bad thing on this planet. The uh, Let me scope this down. Relative to the American military, and Jeff kind of, Jeff kind of, um, Jeff kind of touched on this, but relative to the American military, um, what is the worst thing that's that's come of Afghanistan? Back to you, Will. Uh, relative to the American military, um, I got to tell you, how do you trust the senior leadership? You know, how do you trust the senior leadership going forward? Um, And I said, you know, when I was in Iraq, I tell you, the end sure was not clear to me. And we actually did achieve a modicum of victory there. And I looked at myself and said, you know what? Maybe they did know what they were doing. I was wrong about some of this stuff. Um, But overall, you know, how do, how do, even at the field grade level, do you trust senior leadership and that's a horrible thing to say that's an absolutely horrible thing to say because um, I don't know what where where you go uh, from there um, you know it, as you explain I, I don't general Milley would have been better served by saying nothing yesterday if he couldn't say the things that you sort of said, he should have just said nothing. But we've just reinforced um, 
just reinforce some of the sort of buffoonery. And, and I'll tell you, the other guy is Kirby. Kirby is a retired rear admiral. And, and the fact that he still refuses to tell the truth, you know, it, it, those things are not good. So inside the military, again, we came out of Vietnam. The force was broken. Yeah, there were some four stars at the top who said, you know what, I should have done this different, and I didn't. They, they came out, and they said those things. Too late. That's all right. But the force was also broken. The force isn't broken now. The force is not broken. But if, as Jeff said, you know, Jeff, it isn't lawyers and PAOs that train senior leaders to say the things they do the way they do it. Those are those are those come out organically from these people now. Uh, yeah, what a horrible thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, they know what to say already. They know the appropriate. They're. The, I think our last, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs before Millie, he was like the queen of appropriateness. He that was his talent. He's Mister Appropriate. Knew when to shut up, knew when to say something. He, he's like General Marshall, except, you know, he wouldn't uh, say, hey, this thing isn't going to work. Either you guys change your ways or I'm quitting and I'm going to quit and say why. That wouldn't have been appropriate. So he didn't do it. So I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I have a John aside for a lot of that, a lot of people who, I, who did good things for me personally. It hurts me to say it because... A lot of these guys that uh, we kind of criticize, or I kind of criticize, I'll just take you know, my own personal, they did shit to help me at different points of my life and my career. And uh, I hate saying it, but I mean, the idea is to tell the truth. I mean, we can't expect them to do it if we don't do it. And that's how I feel. You know? Right. The, um, and again, I, I mean, to me, we, we've been talking about this for a while, but um, as Will said, um, the American military, I mean, if you've ever seen it in action, I mean, nobody can do the things that we, that we do. The Chinese are closing in on us, but nobody, nobody can do what the American military does. And when you see it in action and you see how magnificent, uh, it is and, you know, our experience minus, you know, with exclusively with Marines and, and, and some, you know, special operations forces that I dealt with on a regular basis in 2006. Um, you watch Marines, man, and they will do whatever you ask of them for however long you ask them to do it. They don't They don't bitch about it. Um, and they're selfless or courageous, and they'll go out there and die. And then, and then when you watch this, and we've seen it over the course of 20 years, that, that the United States is... Or, is escorted along this path by the flag officers and general officers of the American military. And that is a crisis. And again, as I said this earlier this week, um, um, we have the virtue of having studied Vietnam, right? We have that advantage and we replicated it. And so one of the things I'm I'm interested in doing is getting um, Vietnam guys who fought there, um, and then got to the rank of general officer. I mean, I, I don't know if they'll do it, but guys like General Van Riper, guys like General Zinni, who are just well thought, well spoken, articulate people, but don't, but are not afraid of the truth. 
And what was it like for them to watch the nation go down a road that they had seen the nation go down before, that they had worked so hard to make sure we'd never go down again, and then watch us do this again? Um, And so to me, that's the crisis. The the most significant crisis in the American military is a crisis at the general officer level in which we have people that simply will not risk their careers to tell the truth, right, to change the course of American policy so that we don't, so that we're not defeated strategically. And again, I I said this yesterday, but this is self-inflicted. You know, this is self-inflicted. I mean, you listen to the people you know, who who are in the know talking about, you know, what we could have done with a residual force, you know, and, and that would been have been specifically in our strategic interest. And we handed a strategic victory to our to our opponent. And you just look at that and nobody and nobody saw fit to resign. And so to me, that's it in a nutshell. You see it. You see it enacted over and over from, you know, I first saw it in the failure of, of general officers in Iraq in 2004 to tell, you know, the Secretary of Defense that we don't have enough people here. Your idea of, of bringing less than 150 here when when the war plan called for over 300,000, yeah, this is not going to work. It's not working here. Nobody would say that. And then it culminates in, you know, in a decision in April by a president uh, to completely withdraw, hand the nation over to our enemies and everything that that entails. And nobody sees fit to say, I quit. I will not do that. And um, it, that kind of leadership is unworthy of the human sacrifice that our young Marines, sailors, soldiers, airmen make. They deserve better. The nation deserves better. And I hope Congress takes a hard look at this and see, and, 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 and looks at what do we have to add to this quote if it's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, or fill in the blank, or if it doesn't take the nation down the path of strategic defeat, if it doesn't take the nation down the road of tactical, operational, and strategic defeat, I don't know what that is, but I think that that which we've heard in our careers is inadequate now. I think it has to be built out, and I think that that we have to look for and promote people who will tell the truth no matter what, and see that as their moral responsibility, so that we never do this again. Which is again, the mo- one of the mo- the most depressing book I think I've ever read professionally is McMaster McMaster's book on Vietnam. Right? I mean, you want to if you want to be really depressed for you know for a few days or the better part of a week, bust that thing out and read it. And it's just like sometimes you have to put it down and you say, "Shit, man." Really? Really? And so, you know, everyone... You heard him lately? He's full of shit, man. Now I realize it, you know? I mean, uh, he's great. He's a great fucking criticizer, but he ain't very good when he's in the arena. Well, you know what? And and they're different skill sets, right? It's easy, you know, it's easy to write a book and be critical. Now somebody shines a white-hot spotlight on you, and now you've got to do what you you were telling other people to do. And the question is, will you do that at the expense of your own career, right? Will Will you stand up with the same amount of integrity that you admonished others for, and will you do it when it applies to you? Because it's really fucking easy to talk about it in a classroom right. or on a radio show, but when it's to your own detriment, will you do it? And that's, you know, in my opinion, the definition of courage. All right. Final thought, Will? 
No, I've got enough final depressing thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, final final or depressing thought? Well, yes, there is a final thought. There still is a independent province there in uh, Afghanistan, and the president and none of nobody in the uh, command authority has mentioned Panjshir province is holding out. And uh, have we reached out to them? Are we giving them aid? I mean, instead of just talking to the Taliban, maybe we should be, uh, you know, standing up for freedom. Believe me, you know, that Panjshir province is probably the only livable place in Afghanistan within a couple of weeks. And that's my final thought. Yeah, hey, we've moved on. Didn't you get the memo? We have moved on. I'm always missing the memo. That's not that's not a lie right there, by the way. What the, the fuck is this? <laughs> I should have got this yesterday, damn it. <laughs> the Eagles broke up? Who knew that? Um yeah. The um no, there's uh um, in fact there's uh there's articles uh in Tolo News. I, I now I'm in the habit of looking at Afghan news. Um headline Fighting continues between the Taliban and resistance forces. Subheadline: Taliban say that talks with Musa, Masood supporters have failed, and fighting has been ongoing for the last several days. Um, and this is the fighting in Panjshir province. The Taliban have cut telecommunications uh, uh, in the area. I'm not really sure what that means because hey, most Mac, most Polo out of. Uh, it's out of. I don't know where they're physically located. I would imagine they would be outside of Afghanistan, Dubai or something. Yeah, yeah someplace. It's uh, imperative ma- that our government immediately send as many diversity manuals to those Panjshiris to help them stave off the march of the uh, the politically incorrect Taliban. As long as they're diverse, they'll be they'll be fine. The um, the Taliban. This, the article goes on. The Taliban confirmed that the fighting has been ongoing for two days. Mujahideen of the Islamic Emirates were attacked with some from some circles in Panjshir who bluff and say they will resist. The Mujahideen reacted to the attack, and as a result, the other side has suffered heavy casualties, said a member of the Taliban's Cultural Commission. Residents on the front lines, which is just outside of the Panjshir Valley, say the fighting resumed last night and is still going on. According to the locals, most people have fled the area. So... Um, as Jeff said, you know, this, uh, this fighting, we'll see what happens. Um, and, uh, so anyway, well, they're, they're, yeah, the government was so, I mean, our government president included was so, um, you know, hoity toity in their criticism of the Afghan security forces for not fighting back. Well, here's some folks who are fighting back and they're not, they're ignoring their existence. Shitty. Well, the war is over in case you didn't get the memo. So. That's right. Yeah. I Just, forgot that one. Not sure the Taliban got it. Not sure <laughs> that the people right uh, that are resisting got it, but we've issued that memo. All right, boys. Thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah. That'll do it on a Thursday, and I think for the week, actually, unless something crazy happens today we've heard everybody's press conference um so on that note uh thank you very much for listening today i think the appropriate words are there are no words right to watch your nation fail 
Yeah, there are no words. Especially when you've been part of the failure. So on that note, have a great Thursday. Don't be afraid to check on the people around you. They may be impacted by the events coming through their phone, their TV, or their computer. And uh, don't forget that you are your brother's keeper. You are thy sister's keeper. So uh, be that. I'm Mike McNamara, the Salmarine Radio. I'm out.